0: If you would, open your Bible to the book of Philippians, as we continue in our series on this book, a series entitled Basic Christianity. And church, there are some things that are so great, so wonderful, so valuable that they are worth even suffering in order to get those things. You know, we see this when a couple decides to have a baby. Couples know, most couples know in advance that this is going to be hard, that it's going to involve pain, but the husband and wife, and I'm particularly amazed by the women who say, I know this is going to be painful, but I want to do it anyway. So maybe this is even a late Mother's Day appreciation for you, ladies. Just how we see God's grace upon you. But if if you thought about the being a mom and giving birth as a job description, I could not see anyone taking this up as a job. So you know, the employer says, "Yes, uh, if you take this job, you're going to feel nauseous for months." Uh, somebody's going to be kicking you. Yeah, on the inside, waking you up, you're going to get very little sleep. Progressively, you're going to get less and less sleep. It's going to get more difficult for you to breathe. Um, Simple tasks like tying your shoes, yeah, no, you're not going to be able to do that anymore. Um, And then after nine months, guaranteed unknown hours of pain. Um, You're going to feel like you're going to die. You might die. Uh, Then there's possibly months or even years of healing, or possibly even no healing, and the pay for this position is nothing. You actually have to pay us thousands of dollars. So do you want to become a mom? I mean, who in their right mind would take a job like that? And yet, couple after couple, praise God, says, yes, we want to have a baby. And then after going through all of that, say, You know what? We want to have another baby. It is an absolute miracle because there are some things that are so great that we're willing to suffer to see them accomplished. And one of those other things that we see in our passage this morning, verses 12 through 18 of Philippians 1, is the advance of the gospel. The advance of the gospel is so great. The good news about Jesus is so great. Person after person coming from an eternity that's going to be apart from the Lord in hell to eternity with him in heaven is so great. It's worth suffering to share this news with others. Some things are just worth it. And if moms and dads avoided suffering, there would be no children. There would be no next generation. And if disciples of Jesus Christ, if we seek to avoid suffering, there would be no gospel going forward, no good news being shared, no eternities being changed. But there are some, some things that are so great we are willing to suffer in order to see them happen And the advance of the gospel is one of those things. So if you have your Bible open to Philippians 1, let's see this together in Holy Scripture. Philippians 1, I'm going to start reading in verse 12. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. rejoice let's pray together and i want to ask not only the lord's help but i want to lift up some needs in our church body heavenly father we thank you for gathering us like this today we thank you for partnership in the gospel expressed. we thank you for graduates this next generation that we want to equip with the gospel and Lord, we come to you. We come hungry. We come desirous, Lord, to hear from you, to, to turn our ear to the wisdom of God. And we thank you, Lord, in your word, you, you make us wise. Psalm 19 says that your word is able to make the simple no wisdom. You're able to make us wise. Thank you. And this morning, Lord, we also come, just as we're talking about the advance of the gospel, there are many things that are weighing on our church family. Many battles, as we were singing about this morning. And so, Lord, we just lift this up to you. We thank you that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. We thank you, Lord, that you are the one who goes before us. The Lord fights for us. Thank you, Lord, I I just lift up those that are in physical pain right now. There are many. And we pray for healing, Lord. We specifically this morning just lift up Shalon Swagger. Lord, we pray for healing of her body. It has been many months, many hospital trips. Oh, Lord, have mercy, we pray. We ask for her healing. Lord, there are some here that the turmoil is on the inside. We lift them up to you we pray that good would come healing would come peace would come just ask for your mercy lord we pray lord there are relationships that are unreconciled we pray for reconciliation we pray for the humility and the power lord if we could be reconciled to you there is no amount of relationship we cannot be reconciled to in this life we ask for your mercy Lord, we just give to you our future. There is a number of things that weigh on our church and folks in our church related to our future circumstances, out of our control. Some of them keep us up at night. Lord, we cast our cares on you because you care for us. And so, Lord, we we lift all of this and we pray, Lord, that you, our great God, would have mercy, would give wisdom, would grant grace And Lord, as we talk about the advance of the gospel and a willingness to suffer, I pray just for the encouragement and the steadying we need by your Spirit to be your people. Lord, that this would not just be my words, but Lord, behind this, we would hear from you. We would be compelled upon by the Holy Spirit in the ways you want us to walk this out. And so I pray for your help, Lord, in preaching. I pray for your help as we hear together. Give us ears to hear in Jesus name. Amen. Well, in the verses that we just read were told not only that the gospel was advancing, but we are told that the gospel was advancing despite setbacks and sin, and the setbacks were big. Paul is in prison. And the sin is significant. It involves rivalry and selfish ambition. But Paul ends the passage, he ends in verse 18, rejoicing that the good news of Jesus is going forward. It's a cause for joy. It's a cause for rejoicing. Everything's not going well on every front for, for Paul and Timothy. And yet he is Uh, rejoicing and has joy and calls us and the Philippians to the same. If the gospel is going forward, we can rejoice. And so I think the big idea this morning in the passage we just read is this. We can rejoice because God is advancing his gospel despite setbacks and sin. We can rejoice Because God is at work. He is advancing his gospel. He is accomplishing his purpose. The good news of Jesus was going forward in Paul's day, despite setbacks and sins, and it is going forward in our day. And so we could be a people marked by joy. And so let's begin with the first of these, the gospel advancing despite setbacks. Paul refers in verse 12 to, he just says, what has happened to me? And we know from other parts in the letter that Paul, what has happened to Paul is he's in prison. He is likely in Rome. He could have avoided prison. But he keeps repeatedly getting in prison throughout his life because he keeps repeatedly sharing with people about Jesus. It's so important. And the word gospel literally means good news. And the gospel starts, though, with some bad news, or it presupposes some bad news. The bad news is, is that we are all sinners, all of us. The bad news is that our sin offends a holy God. Our sin, compared to God's holiness, or in light of God's holiness, is like a bee allergy for someone who's surrounded by a swarm of bees. Or like striking a match next to gasoline. These two things do not go well together. God created us. We owe everything to God. And yet we have sinned against him. And that is the bad news. The bad news we've fallen short of his holiness. The bad news we deserve God's wrath. The bad news we deserve to be cut off from God in hell forever. Every one of us without exception. And so the good news is news of a Savior. The good news is that Jesus lived as a representative, the perfect and obedient life that we could not live. That's good news. The good news is that Jesus died as a substitute on the cross for sin. And the good news is that he seeks and saves the lost. He is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He is the one mediator between God and man, the man, Jesus Christ. That is good news. And so sharing this news is what got Paul in prison. And continuing to share it is what gets him from prison to prison. Some of you have loyalty programs with a certain hotel. Well, Paul has a loyalty program with the prison system in the Roman world. It's just, oh, yeah, he's in there. Yeah, he's in prison. Oh, yeah, yeah, he's in prison again. Sharing this good news got him in prison. But despite this setback, there's something exciting happening. Look at verse 12. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. So even though Paul is imprisoned for talking about Jesus, sharing about Jesus, the good news isn't stopped. His imprisonment actually led to more people, different people, hearing. About the good news of Jesus. So the gospel is advancing despite the setbacks, despite the hurdles. He mentions here the whole imperial guard. That would have been thousands. I mean, estimates are eight to nine thousand soldiers. Now, they probably all didn't hear it directly from Paul. But the ones who were tasked with guarding Paul began to share with fellow soldiers. Hey, did you hear about this guy? Did you hear why he's in prison? Hey, he was telling me something. He was telling me bad news. He was telling me good news. He's risking his life. Do you hear? He keeps showing up in all of these different prisons. He's talking and talking about Jesus. Paul was put in prison to stop him from sharing about Jesus And the very thing he's excitedly telling the Philippians, he's like, my imprisonment is having the opposite effect. They're trying to to stop the gospel and it's leading to the spread of the gospel. And so he's excited. Rightfully so. And who? Who is making this happen? Well, Paul doesn't say specifically here, but we know from other places, and who ultimately gets the glory and the credit is the Lord is making this happen. The Lord is allowing his good news to go forward as an unstoppable gospel. At another imprisonment in Rome, 2 Timothy 2 9, Paul says, I am suffering. Bound with chains is a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. You know, when things happen to us, from our perspective, it can look like that was a major setback. And I think some of you are facing things in your life that you would say, ooh, that is a major setback. But what is a setback to us is not to God. The word of God is not bound. And then he even goes further in verse 14 to speak about, there's actually even more advancement taking place. He says in verse 14, And most of the brothers, that is other fellow Christians, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Now, that that seems backwards. It seems backwards. And you know, there's a lot of backwards in Philippians. And if the title of this series is Basic Christianity, there's a lot of backwards in Basic Christianity. If Paul is in prison for sharing with people about Jesus and you and I are watching him get in trouble for it, the natural effect would be we would want to keep our mouths shut. We don't want to share. I don't want to get in trouble. I don't want to go to prison. That's naturally what we're going to be inclined to. But supernaturally, this is what happens. He says the opposite effect is happening. They're seeing his imprisonment and it's emboldening. He says most of the brothers, most Christians are watching Paul go into prison and be like, yeah, we should share more about Jesus. Yeah, that is really good news. Yeah, let's get that message out there. He says, they're much more bold to speak the word without fear. Oh, church, this this is the kind of perspective that we need in the midst of setbacks and in the midst of suffering. It looks like Paul in prison is catastrophic to the spread of the gospel. I mean, he's been, you know, in in the terms of who God has used in the world to plant these churches and to send this gospel forward, God's been using Paul. Paul and Timothy, Paul and Silas, even before him, Paul and Barnabas. But you know what? Paul's freedom is really not that essential. In fact, Paul is not that essential. And neither are you. And neither am I. When when you step back and you realize God can accomplish, and he is accomplishing this, and he doesn't need my freedom or your freedom to do it. If you and I have to suffer, our suffering as a setback can, can lead to God advancing his purposes. And for us to have confidence in that and be emboldened by that, Um, In the book I recommended, Let's Study Philippians, Sinclair Ferguson writes this. God's logic is very different from ours. We assume that the circumstances must be right if we are to be really effective Christians. But God is not waiting for the circumstances to be right. He is committed to producing really effective Christians whatever their circumstances may be. So I ask you, have you seen this play out in your own life? Does this stir your faith in the Lord to expect great things when you face suffering or setback? You say, yeah, the situation I'm in is really not ideal. Well, God's going to show up. He's going to advance his gospel. So the gospel is advancing despite setbacks. That's verses 12 through 14. And then Paul goes on to show the gospel advancing despite sin. Verses 15 through 17. The gospel advancing despite sin. Look at verse 15. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. So the gospel was advancing from Paul through these Roman guards. It was advancing, secondly, when other Christians were being emboldened watching Paul. But then there's this third Aspect, this third group that's proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ, but he says here, he says they're doing it from, from poor or mixed motives. He mentions envy, rivalry, selfish ambition, not sincerely. Verse 18, he calls it pretense. So it looks like a pure motive, but it's not. Now, from Paul's letters, we don't know exactly who this group or person or people are. There were people in Paul's day that were preaching another gospel. A different gospel that wasn't the gospel. uh, A false gospel. It was Jesus plus works. Jesus plus the, the Judaism's law in order to get saved or stay saved. And Paul reserves his harshest criticisms in Galatians, in Philippians chapter 3, which we'll look at in a number of weeks, he reserves his harshest criticisms for those that are preaching a different false gospel. He says in Philippians 3, look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh, for we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus And put no confidence in the flesh. That's how he talks about people preaching a different gospel. But Paul is not talking that way here. He says no, no, no. They're sharing the good news of Jesus. They're just sharing it from a bad heart. They're competing rivals with Paul. They are glad that Paul is out of the way. And in prison. So that as they preach their platform can expand their influence can develop listen they're not heretics but they are hypocrites and so what is paul's response he says in verse 18 what then only that in every way whether in pretense or in truth christ is proclaimed And in that, I rejoice. So what's Paul saying? He says, well, at least the good news of Jesus is going forward. Yes, the mixed motives are bad. Yes, hypocrisy and envy and rivalry is a bad thing. But praise God, Jesus is proclaimed as the Savior. People are hearing People are receiving. People are having their eternal destinies changed. Even if the method of the one who's preaching it is not good. I wonder how these verses land on you this morning. They certainly have challenged me over the years to, and invite me to examine my own motives. Why am I proclaiming Jesus? Is it for Aaron? Aaron? Is it for my platform? It also it helps me examine, do I view, do we view other pastors and other churches as rivals, competitors? And it also invites us to examine our heart toward others. Can we rejoice that Christ is proclaimed even if the person has sinful motives? Can we rejoice even if they do it hypocritically? Now, just recognize here, this is not rejoicing when Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses are proclaiming Jesus because they don't proclaim the biblical Jesus. It's another gospel. We shouldn't rejoice in another gospel. But when the good news is rightly proclaimed, but the one proclaiming it is doing it, trying to amass a following or has a platform, we can and we still should rejoice because the gospel is advancing. And this is where the passage leads us in verse 18. We can rejoice because God is advancing his gospel. I mean, you step back and you realize... Paul doesn't care so much that he's in prison. He cares that the gospel is advancing. Paul doesn't care so much about other preachers and how they're hypocritical and actually making it difficult on him in prison. He says, they're seeking to afflict me in my imprisonment. He's like, I don't care. The gospel is so precious. The news about Jesus is so precious. People having their eternal destinies changed is so precious to me. That is what I want to rejoice in. If Paul made his primary aim personal comfort, he wouldn't be talking like this. If Paul made his primary aim his reputation, he would not be talking like this. This is the advance of the gospel, Christ being proclaimed. That is his primary aim. He's like, so I don't care if I'm in prison or not. I don't care what motives that gospel is being preached by others. I mean, he cares, but it's not ultimate to him. He's like, oh, I just want to see the gospel go forward. I just want to see the news about Jesus come to people, whatever the cost. It was his primary aim. And so let me ask you, what is ours what is yours what is that primary aim that, that thing that we want to see so badly happen I mean there are some things and I said at the beginning there are some things so great and so wonderful that we will suffer to see them happen is the gospel of Jesus Christ one of those things Paul is presenting it. God's word is elevating it. Here is something worth suffering for to get this news out. This, according to Paul, basic Christianity isn't just us believing in the good news of Jesus Christ ourselves, but basic Christianity gets, our, our lives get wrapped up in this good news, in the message going and advancing. Our, our lives get reordered. Our primary aim is, gets wrapped up in Jesus Christ, in knowing him and in making him known to others. This is the advance of the gospel. Now, I want to end with a modern-day story about this. Uh, It's a true story of a young man named Francisco. He was 22 years old, lived in Peru. And this story is from the book Jesus Freaks. I know some of you have seen that book, uh, but this, uh, this story takes place in 1990. This young man, Francisco, said, I want to bring the Cinderista terrorists to Christ. The young Bible student's eyes burned with his desire. His city, Lima, Peru, had swelled to 7 million people as people fled the countryside because the Cinderistas were murdering so many. I don't want to flee. I want to attack with the gospel, he said. God answered the prayers of this Jesus freak. One day, as Francisco was walking past the National Palace, a car sped by. A mortar launched a bomb from the car, which exploded in the palace. Then the car vanished. Immediately, the Peruvian police swarmed throughout the area, Francisco was arrested and taken into a maximum security prison. He was locked up on the fourth floor in an area set aside exclusively for holding, you guessed it, the Cinderista terrorists. 500 of them, men and women, all terrorists were imprisoned in this area, and Francisco wasted no time grieving over his circumstances. He was prepared. He had diligently studied how to present the gospel to communist revolutionaries. And in a gentle way, he began preaching to the terrorists, sharing with them about the love of God. A woman named Maria listened carefully. She was a 24-year-old student from San Marcos University in Lima. One of Maria's tasks with the Cinderistas had been to take her pistol and shoot the wounded victims through their skull to guarantee their death. Could God possibly love and forgive me, she wondered. Well, when Maria prayed to receive Christ with Francisco, she found out that he definitely could and that he did. An entire year passed. As Francisco waited for his trial and during that time he brought over 60 terrorists to Jesus. As the love of God penetrated heart and hearts, terrorists became children of God. There is now a church in this prison filled with believers brought to Jesus Christ through the faithfulness of Francisco. Francisco's prayer was answered in an unusual way. But what safer place could there be to minister to terrorists than in jail? Francisco was quick to recognize that God had changed evil for good. He used Francisco's wrongful imprisonment to give him the desire of his heart. Then God blessed his efforts and many were brought into the eternal kingdom of God. I can invite the worship team. To return. Talk about a setback. Talk about sin. Talk about, in his case, injustice, being wrongfully imprisoned. But talk about the gospel advancing. Despite sufferings, despite setbacks, despite sin. Church, there are some things that are so great that, it's willing to su- that we should be willing to suffer whatever we need to suffer in order to see those things happen. And the advance of the gospel is one of those things. The good news is so good, and Jesus Christ is so glorious, he invites us to make this our primary aim. And we'll see that more next week as well. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, I think to a person in here, we can all say, wow, I, I don't necessarily have the same perspective as Paul or Francisco. And yet, Lord, you are doing something in our church. You are fortifying us. You're giving us a vision for something to be our primary aim. Lord, we, we want that. And I do pray that you would work in my heart I pray you'd work in our hearts as a church body to value the advancement of the gospel more than personal comfort, more than other outcomes, more than prosperity, Lord, more than avoiding suffering. And and I, I say specifically, the fear of man and the desire for people to think well of us is very strong. And I pray for your help, Lord, that what we would desire more than the approval of other people is the honor and the glory of Jesus Christ and these people coming to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. So, Lord, we pray for your help, and we're thankful that Jesus is so glorious that he is worth, He's the treasure hidden in a field which a man found, and in his joy, he goes and he sells all that he has to find that field. So Lord, help us to rejoice and help us to rejoice when others, uh, when, when there is rivalry and selfish ambition attached to the proclaiming of the gospel from others, Lord, that we could say with Paul, I still rejoice that Christ is proclaimed. We need help for that, perspective for that, in Jesus' name, amen.